a lot better when I turn it on. Good morning. I want to thank Bobby for, for letting me come and share this morning and just an opportunity to be with you. This is one of what I consider to be one of my church families, and so it's, it's a good time. It's a good experience for us to come home and to spend this time with you. I, Every time I come here, I talk about how many faces look familiar and how many people I grew up with and how I want to honor you and how much I appreciate you, and I mean all of those things again. But we're just going to fast forward through this and get to the good stuff, okay? I want to get to the good stuff this morning. Last January, not this January, but last January, I was in Malaysia teaching a class at a seminary there in Malaysia. And we were in Penang, which is a, it's an island off of the coast of Malaysia. And so it's actually, uh, it, it doesn't matter. So, so I was in Malaysia and, and we visited, several of us visited Penang Hill. Now, they do something the opposite of what we do in Texas. In Texas, we, we talk about the fact that we have hill country, right? But we treat it like it's mountains, Right? And, and in, in Penang, they have a mountain and they treat it like it's a hill. And so we, we went up the hill to Penang, and by that I mean we took a truck and all climbed in the back of it, and it flew up the side of this mountain very uncomfortably, and we all got closer to Jesus. Um, and we got to the top, and at the top of this hill there was a, a mosque and a, and a Hindu temple, which I, I, I thought was interesting. And, so we walked, kind of walked around and looked at the different, these different places of worship. But then we finally got, you know, we looked at the vista and you can see the, the rest of Malaysia over the water. I mean, you're, you're way, way up there. And as we came down, I did what every Westerner would do as we're traveling international. We needed to get back to our hotel. So I pulled out my phone and I pulled up Uber and I dialed up an Uber driver and he shows up and I began to have this conversation with our Uber driver who was a, a, a Muslim. And so we began to have conversations. I noticed he was a Muslim. Malaysia is a country where you're not really allowed to proselytize a Muslim. You're not really allowed to share Christ with a Muslim unless they initiate it. Okay. And so we began to talk about his faith. Tell me about your faith. And what I, what I realized was he was working his second, his third job of the day and that he had a family at home that he was working really hard to provide for. And so I just asked him an easy question. I said, so can you walk me through how you share your faith, how you pass your faith along to your children? What do you do? How, do, how does that look? And he said, well, every night I read them stories about the prophets. I said, really? Tell me about that. And so he began to list some of these Muslim prophets that he would read to his children. And I, and I said, well, I, I said, I'd do the same thing. He said, what do you mean? I said, I tell my kids the stories of Jesus. And he goes, Jesus? And I said, yeah. And I began to share the gospel of, of Jesus because he initiated it by saying, Jesus, question mark. I have an answer for you. So I began to explain the gospel, right? And, and the more I talked about Jesus, his eyes lit up and his eyes got wide and he said, you know, in Islam, we read Jesus. He said, Isa is my prophet too. Well, so I began to push a little bit because I'm honorary that way. And I began to 
prod and to challenge him. I was like, explain to me how he's just a prophet. You see, because we worship him as God, and you're saying, he, he's like, he's not God, he's just a prophet. I said, well, explain that to me. And he, and he began to kind of, well, he was a good teacher, and he did these things. And I said, but he said he was God. He said he was one with God. He said anybody who's seen him has seen the Father. He's actually said that no man comes to the Father except by him. He said, he said well, uh, okay. I said, can a prophet lie? He said, no, a good prophet cannot lie. He said, well, can a prophet deceive? He said, no, a good prophet can't deceive. I said, could a good prophet be wrong? He said, no, he couldn't be. I said, then Jesus can't be a good prophet. And then... I marshaled the, my greatest C.S. Lewis argument, and I, I, I said, you're only left with three options when it comes to who Jesus is. He's either a liar who knows he's not God, but it tells people he is anyway. He's a lunatic who believes himself to be God, and so he tells people he is even though he's not. Or he's exactly who he said he was. You don't get to have he's a good prophet. You don't get to have he's a good teacher. You don't get to have he's just a good moral philosopher. He's either who he said he was, or he's crazy, or he's deceiving. Of course, by this point, we're now arriving to where we were going. And he wants me out of the car. <laughs> and... Every other passenger slips out of the car, and I sat in the front, and I continued to just kind of push him. And I said, and I just asked him, is truth important? He said, well, yeah, truth is important. I said, so is this not at least worth looking into more? Is this not worth studying? He said, well, how do I study? I said, funny you should say that. I encourage you to read the Gospel of John, right? Let's get out of this book. Let's get into this book and see who Jesus is says he is. And my point that I was trying to make for him was that those who, those who don't have a proper understanding of Jesus, those who don't listen to what Jesus really says, they like the idea of Jesus. They often like the, the concept of Jesus. Like my Uber driver, they have no prophet claiming his teachings or claiming to, to, to like Jesus as a distance. But as long, they have to keep him over there in order to do that. They have to keep him away from them. They have to keep, them, keep Jesus at a distance. I think it's somewhat timely that we can all acknowledge that here we are close to midterms. Most politicians don't mind the teachings of Jesus as long as you can keep them at a distance. They don't mind reading a verse or two and making a point or two, but they're much more hesitant to let him affect them personally. Right? They like to claim him to support whatever policy they've decided on on either side. And there are some who genuinely love the Lord. Let's acknowledge that. There are some who generally strive to obey Him. But there are many that if they were to see Jesus for who He really is, it would change everything. It would change everything. Because that's what happens when we see Jesus for who He is. And so I want you to look in Luke 5 this morning. 
In Luke chapter 5, I want us to examine a passage where Simon Peter sees Jesus for who he really is. So Luke 5, this is how you're going to tell me you found it in your Bible or you've scrolled it on your version or your Bible app. You tell me that you found it when you stand up, okay? So that's what we're going to do. Once you find it, I want you to stand up in honor for the reading of God's Word. Or when I preach, there's a, 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 an African-American church I enjoy preaching at in Fort Worth. And so anytime they open the Bible, they say, say amen when you get there. And then people say amen. And then they say, or say hallelujah anyway. And they just do that. So Luke chapter 5, I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. It says, on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. Now don't let this throw you. This is the same body of water in your New Testament that is referred to as the Sea of Galilee, the Sea of Tiberias, and Lake Gennesaret. It's the same place. Okay? So he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing or mending their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, Simon Peter, He asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and they filled both the boats so that they began to sink. And when Peter, Simon Peter saw this, he fell down at Jesus' knee saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And James said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Father, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to receive what you have for us this morning. May we see Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So Jesus has begun in this point in his ministry. He's begun performing miracles and healings. He's begun preaching in the synagogues. And the crowds had suddenly begun to press in. He has attracted a following. And so people are pressing in to hear this man teach. He has attracted their interest. But Peter, unlike these crowds pressing in, Peter is somewhat distracted, isn't he? Peter is somewhat removed. He's not necessarily completely engaged in Jesus' teachings. But the crowds are the ones who had seen Jesus heal the sick, and they wanted to see what he would do next. So look at verse 1. On one occasion... While the crowd, and look what the crowd is doing here. While the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God. 
see, verse 1 describes them as coming close, as approaching Jesus, because they understood that his words were the words of God. So if you're taking notes this morning, here's what I would encourage you to write down. Number one, when we see him for who he is, we listen to his voice. When we see him for who he is, we listen to his voice. You see, but while the crowds are pressing in and Jesus is standing next to this lake, Simon Peter's there, but he's not really pressing in in the same way, is he? He's not engaged, he's not, he's not tracking, he's not following. He is sitting next to his boat, mending his nets, binding up his nets. He's near Jesus' teaching, but he's not invested. Or as I might say, he's listening, or I'm sorry, he's hearing, but he's not listening. My kids do this to me all the time. They hear me, but they're not listening right? My words have somehow become background noise. Have you ever had that moment where you're talking with your kids and maybe you're trying to communicate this really insightful wisdom about their behavior and the way they're thinking and their future and you realize that their eyes are just vacant? <laughs> Thanks. Your words are just droning in the background and they're not connecting with them whatsoever. This is Peter, in this moment, he's sitting there hearing, but not listening. And I wonder, I wonder how many of us, if we're honest and if we're thinking about it this morning, have that same level of commitment. We're here, so there's something, we're here, we're not in the woods, we're not at home, we're not getting ready for the football game tonight because we want to be disappointed by the Cowboys again. We're here to be sure, but like Simon Peter in this passage, we have something else in our hands and on our minds as we listen to Jesus' words just be spoken in the background. How many times do we read the Bible that way? How many times, have, how many of you have ever chosen a Bible reading plan and you've started reading it? And as you began reading through your Bible plan, every word had meaning. Every word just jumped off the page at you. But somewhere over the course of maybe that day, or maybe it was Leviticus, but what happened was suddenly now you're just reading words. And they're not jumping off the page. And they're not striking you in the heart. And suddenly you're reading, but you're not paying attention. You're scrolling through the Bible app as you read. But you're not invested in what it's saying. You're not really dialed in. Maybe you're here this morning and that's you. And you probably aren't mending your fishing nets in church. Maybe it's Sudoku. Pictures of grandbabies on Facebook. Taking selfies of worship. Hold my hand up. It's Candy Crush. Or maybe it's straight up old school, like we had to do it before the dawn of phones and texting. We had texting on the back of the offering envelopes where we would write it, fold it, pass it. And you'd have to tell the person next to you, hand this to that person, three rows over, right? And you had to hope it got there because you had check marks on there. (laughs) 
But in the same way, I want you to see that Jesus steps into Simon Peter's boat in verse 3 in the same way he often disrupts our state of distraction, doesn't he? He saw two boats by the lake, and the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets or mending their nets. And so it says, Jesus, getting into one of the, be- one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put a- out a little from the land. And he sat down and he began to teach people from the boat. Suddenly, Simon Peter, who had been listening passively, right, he's now in the middle of the action. Suddenly, he's right there. He, it's, it's almost as though the preacher stepped down from the stage and he came and he sat down next to you and you say, that's insane. I said, I know, I, I was a youth pastor and this is what I did to people when they fell asleep. If you fell asleep, I would simply keep preaching and just walk and come sit next to you. And now every eye in the room is doing what? Looking at that person who's asleep. And it's great. They wake up because I don't do anything. I just kind of put my arm around them and keep preaching. And then they wake up and they see me and then they look up and every eye in the room is on them and they never fall asleep in a sermon again. Jesus and Peter are in the same kind of situation. Jesus is now in the boat. Peter's in the boat. Now he has to listen. Every eye is trained on him. But this wasn't even just a mere preacher, was it? This was a man who was preaching with the authority of God and he's in the boat with Simon Peter and he's teaching from Simon Peter's boat. And after he finishes his teaching in verse 4, look at what he says. He instructs Peter to put out into the deep water and to let down his nets. Now let's talk for a second about Peter. Peter is not a dummy. Peter is not a well-educated man. He doesn't have skins on the wall and degrees at home. But Peter is a blue-collar fisherman, business owner, son of a fisherman who smells like fish. He don't know much, but he knows him some fishing. Right? He's the guy that if you're going bass fishing on Lake Gennesaret, he's the guy you hire. To be your guide. He knows how to fish them. He knows where to fish them. He knows when to fish them. And here he had been fishing all night and had come up empty. And here's a son of a carpenter who tells him what to do. This man speaking to him who had been preaching with the authority of the word of God who still smells like sawdust from Joseph's shop is telling the fisherman, here's where you should go and here's how you should do it. And notice Peter's response. They've done what they were supposed to do. They followed all the fishing rules for that lake at that time in that season. They went out at night. They were out all night. They, they, they let out their nets and they came back empty. They'd done what they were supposed to do and it didn't work. And so he uses a word here in the New Testament that is only used in Luke. And Luke is a trained historian 
when he puts together his gospel narratives. And so Luke will allow different people to say different things and to use different words. He will allow non-believers to call Jesus a good teacher. But he, never allows a non, a, a, he will never allow a non-believer in the gospel of Luke to call Jesus master. But that's the word here used by Peter. He says, master. It's almost as though the fishing boat captain says, captain, right? He says, master, at your word. We did everything we could. We did all the right things. We came up empty, but you're the master. And if you say so, at your word, I will let down the nets. Because you said it. I'll do it. And when we see him for who he is, friends, we obey his commands. When we see him for who he is, we listen to his voice and we obey his commands. Can we be honest? Sometimes Jesus' instructions to us don't make a lot of sense. Can I get an amen? Sometimes he tells us to do things that we, in our own wisdom, might look at and say, that... I. That doesn't, that doesn't compute. Jesus, money's tight. Christmas is coming. By the way, Christmas is coming. Money's tight. Christmas is coming. I can barely afford to buy groceries, and you want me to give 10% to the church. It doesn't make sense. And yet I'm still waiting to meet the person who has chosen to return the tithe to God's house and who has regretted it. I'm still waiting to meet that person. Jesus, I'm embarrassed of my sin and I don't want anybody to know about it, but you say that I need to confess it, that I need to share it with somebody else so that they can pray for me and hold me accountable in the future? And yet, that kind of vulnerability is exactly what we need to show in order to be encouraged, in order to be prayed for, in order to be supported, in order to be held accountable. That's exactly what we need. Does it make sense? No. But when we understand Jesus for who He is, we obey His command even when it doesn't make sense. Peter is an experienced fisherman in a family of fishermen, he makes his living doing this stuff. He's already put in the night shift and he came to church without even taking a nap. He's sitting there drinking coffee. I can just see him. And it's that grimy coffee that you get early in the morning that's like half burned at the gas station. And he's cleaning his nets. And Jesus, this amateur fisherman, tells the professional, go into the deep water. Let out your nets. And Peter explains the situation, but he still calls him captain, says, I, I, and obeys. And in that moment, something happens that he could never have envisioned. Look at verse 6. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and they, they caught so much fish that their nets began 
breaking. These, these nets that should have been empty begin to fill. They fill so much that they begin to tear. And so they wave their partners over who are in another boat on the shoreline and they bring the other vessel to come and help the catch. And there's so much catch that they're pulling them in and both boats are beginning to sink. This is not supposed to work this way. And both boats are beginning to sink. Now, friends, does this happen every time we obey Jesus? No. And any preacher who tells you otherwise is fork-tongued and should not be listened to. The annals of history are filled with stories of those who have obeyed Jesus even to the flames. But even that obedience results in more than they could have imagined, doesn't it? Because in a moment, they open their eyes in the presence of their Savior. And any cost that they paid on this earth is counted as nothing. And they begin to sing praises for eternity, don't they? And that's another proper response when we see him for who he is. We listen to his voice. We obey his commands. And we worship him in awe. We worship him in awe. Look at verse 8. Verse 8 says, he fell down. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees and said, Depart from me, for I'm a, I am a sinful man, O Lord. I, I, the first few times I read this, I couldn't quite understand. Why is he saying, depart from me? Why is he saying, I'm a sinful man? He sees two filled boats and he says, I'm a sinful man. Go away. But, but there's a reason. Because Peter's not just looking at the fish. And he's not just looking at the boats. He is completely broken because he sees in light of Jesus' glory, in light of who Jesus is, he sees his sin and how short he is, and he is broken into pieces in that moment. Because he sees and acknowledges who Jesus is. He recognized him and it destroyed him. As he saw Jesus more clearly, he saw himself more clearly. As he recognized the utter majesty of the God-man, he saw his own sin. Verse 9 says that Simon Peter and those who were with him were amazed at the catch. And that's true, but it doesn't explain the response. No, 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 no. The catch itself revealed something about Jesus to Peter, and that's what broke him. And I wonder how many of us, if we're being honest this morning, have become so familiar with the oh happy day Jesus, so familiar with the jubilant Jesus that we've skipped right over the recognition of exactly who he is and we've missed the point where we are staggered by his all, staggered by his glory, broken by his majesty. I wonder if we've missed that point sometimes. 
He is the second person of the eternal Godhead. He was the active agent in the very creation of all things. Everything that has been made was made by Him. Everything that is, is held together in its existence by Him. He is the eternal Word of God made flesh who stepped off of His eternal throne to be born in a manger who left the eternal praises of the heavenly choirs to hear the crowds cry, crucify. He's the one who death could not defeat, the grave could not hold, who rose again on the third day, conquering death, conquering hell, conquering the grave. And that Jesus loves me. He wants a relationship with me. Are you kidding? How can we not be broken by that? How can we not just fall in our knees in humility and awe? How can we come to church and sing some songs and play some games and leave and not be changed? Because we haven't seen him. Because we don't recognize him. And we don't want to. Because he's easier to handle over there. But when he's in the boat with you, it will wreck you. When we see Him for who He is, we cannot help but worship in a different way. We sing with a different ferocity because He's worth every ounce of every praise we can muster. He's worth every verse of every song because He's the same yesterday as He is today as He will be forever. We bring our tithes and we return our offerings because they're nothing. There is nothing that we could possibly give to repay what He has given to us. The infinite mercy He's given us in just being here. And He's here. When we see Him for who He is, everything changes. Everything changes, and we cherish, we cherish the opportunity to follow Him. Look at Jesus' response to their worship. They fall at their knees, and He says, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men to follow Him. He says, you you couldn't imagine this would be possible, but now you're going to become fishers of men. And then something happens that didn't strike me until the 50th or 100th or 300th time that I read this verse because we always get caught up in this idea of being fishers of men, right? And then something happens that knocked me back when I was reading this. Verse 11, and then they brought, and when they had brought their boats to land, This is the catch of a lifetime. Their boats are barely staying afloat. Their nets are tearing. This is a windfall like they have never experienced in their profession before. And when they brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. They left everything and followed him. 
They left the catch of their lifetime sitting on the shore. They left their savings account, their retirement. They left all of their security on the shore. They didn't pass go. They didn't collect $200. They left everything and they followed him. Why? Because they saw him. And if in that moment he can fill their boats to the point of sinking with fish, I think they're going to be okay following him. Some of you this morning are sitting here figuratively holding your fishing nets, listening to Jesus' words at a distance, giving the, the absolute minimal amount of attention necessary to say that you're still here and hearing God's word. Perhaps the most important takeaway I can offer you this morning is to pay attention to who Jesus is. When you see him, it will change everything. Pay attention. Listen closely. When you catch it, when you catch that glimpse, no nothing is going to be able to slow you down. Your passion is going to be different. The way you sing will be different. The way you live will be different. The way you interact with your brothers and sisters in Christ will be different. The way you interact with your coworkers at work will be different. Why? Because it changes everything when you catch a glimpse. Others of you, you've heard the teachings of Jesus. You've read about the ethic he requires, but it's never quite struck you that we're talking about the Son of God. Not just a good moral teacher. The Son of God that says that he and the Father are one. The Son of God who says that anyone who has seen Him has seen the Father. The Son of God who says that no one comes to the Father except by Him. And if those things are true, the one thing He can't just be is a good teacher. The one thing He can't be is just a good moral example for you. And if they are true, He is so much more than a good teacher. If they're true... And they are. And He is what He says He is. And He is. Then when you see Him truly, you will have a Peter in the boat moment. And you'll never get over it. And I want that for you. And I know your pastor wants that for you. And I know your elders want that for you that you will be ruined by Him so that you can be strengthened by Him and live for Him. When you recognize your sin in the presence of His glory, it changes everything. And then maybe there are others still this morning who listen to His voice and you've responded at some point in time. But there was a moment where you were called to do something that made no sense. You were challenged to do something 
but the nets were full. And the nets kept your attention. And the nets began to become prioritized over the opportunity to follow him to what he has called you to do in faith. I've lost count of the numbers that I've spoken with that would say that they felt called to ministry or to missions, but they, became, they had become so focused on maintaining their financial status, or they had become so focused on maintaining their financial security, or they had become so focused on making sure their retirement keeps up that what they've done is they've resisted God's calling for them. They've, they're so consumed today by their responsibilities of work and they're miserable because they know they've been called and they know they've resisted it. They know they've been disobedient. Friends, is that you this morning? Could that be you? Have you held something back? Have you been so focused on your filled nets that you've refused to follow him where he goes? Maybe it's just the fact that you're putting off going on a mission trip. And you know God's calling you to participate with him at getting the gospel to the ends of the earth. And I know that your pastor has a passion for seeing the nations brought to Christ. I know that there are opportunities before you to go serve. I'll be honest with you. One of the most immediate things you can do, go get a passport. You don't even have to sign up for a trip yet. Go get a passport. Because then when the opportunity comes, when there's a trip to sign up for, you're ready. What is it today? that you need to do? Is it to see Him? Is it to fall at your knees? Is it fall to your knees at His feet? Or is it to follow Him? For you this morning, as the band comes and we sing, how do you need to respond to God's Word this morning? Father, I pray For my friends this morning, I pray that your spirit would blow through this place, that it would impress upon our hearts the very things that we need to hear, the very things that we need to feel, the very things that we need to see in order to follow you more clearly. Show us your son that we may follow you. Show us your Son. In Jesus' name, amen.